Today we begin a, a new series of messages entitled I Was Made for This. And, and we've been thinking and praying about this series and, and how we might communicate how following Jesus really equals life. How being a, a follower of Jesus Christ affects every aspect of our lives. I mean, nothing is, is, is left out from our time at home spent with no one around to the time that we are out having recreation to the time that we are at work or at school or wherever it might be. There's never a place, never a time where we are not under the lordship, the leadership of Jesus Christ if we are indeed a child of God. And as we look each week at some of these aspects of our lives and, and how this comes, comes to pass, how God's leadership, how being a follower of Jesus Christ impacts that, what I'm hoping and what we're praying is that it will begin to help you see things in a different way. Because typically we're going through, we're going through the routine, we've got our routine, we're going through our day, we're going through our week, and we really don't think about the Lordship of Jesus over our Monday morning or our Saturday night. We, we certainly think about it on Sundays, right? But unless we're on a mission trip out somewhere or unless we're out doing a, a ministry project, a service project, we may not be thinking about it just in the, the normal routine of the day. And, and I identify with this. I'm not up here speaking as someone who, who doesn't struggle with this because there are times when you know, I'm, I'm putting my golf clubs in the back of the car, getting ready to go play golf, that, that I'm not necessarily thinking about the lordship of Jesus Christ over my golf game. I've got other things that are preoccupying my mind. And so what I want us to do is to take the stuff that, 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 that big issue of the lordship of Jesus is in the back of our minds, and I want us to begin as we go through these weeks to move it more and more and more to the front of our minds. Now, if you haven't looked on the front of the bulletin, you may not know this morning exactly what issue, what aspect of life. Don't look if you haven't. Don't look yet. Because for those who haven't, then you can get to play a guessing game. Because my mind works kind of weird. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. She'll tell you. Be happy to tell you. But as I'm planning message series, a lot of times I have a soundtrack that starts playing in my head. And sometimes beautiful songs like what we just sang, His mercy is more. And sometimes it's less spiritual. And this is one of those that was a little less spiritual. So I'm going to name some of the songs that kind of hit the playlist of my mind. If if you're older and you don't think in terms of playlists, you know, on on your iPhone or whatever it might be, then maybe you can think of your record player, and how you'd stack 45s and they drop one after the other, okay? You can think that way, okay? But here's the playlist that was going through my mind. Here's the first song that came to my mind. And please, I ask you to forgive me up front. The first song that came to my mind is, Take This Job and Shove It. I'm sorry. And I even had the band practicing so I could come up here and sing that to you. But I was afraid that you may take it as my resignation. And I didn't want that to happen, so... The second song that came to mind was a Dolly Parton song, Nine to Five. I won't sing that one either. Then there was one that I remember from my college years from a group called Loverboy, and it was called Working for the Weekend. 
Oh, so I see some heads nodding. So some of you got that. And then there was one, a disco classic. Thank God it's Friday. And then uh, the next one that kind of fell down was an old Beatles song. It's been a hard day's night, and I've been working like a dog. Bachman Turner Overdrive was in my playlist, taking care of business. And then an old Lee Dorsey song, working in a coal mine. See, I'm pretty eclectic. I've got a little bit of everything in here except opera because I'm not big on opera. And I don't really know any opera songs that would fall into this. But you could probably guess the aspect of life that we're going to talk about just by this little playlist I've put up. Anybody want to guess? Work. Work. And I figured I better start it in an entertaining way because some of you might have said, work? I didn't come here on Sunday to talk about work. And so we're going to begin by talking about work. Because I think it's important because that's a, for some of you, it's a major aspect of your lives. Now, some of you are retired and you don't think about it as being a major aspect of your life. But for for most of us, it is a big, big deal in our lives. And here's the reality. Most people dread Mondays and celebrate Fridays. Uh, Matter of fact, many of these songs and many other songs that we could have listed talk about that very same thing. Dreading Mondays and looking forward to Friday, looking forward to getting to the weekend. Because work has become, for so many people, a four-letter word. I know literally it is a four-letter word, but you get the idea. It is just not something we, we relish talking about. It is not a place often we relish being in. And so if we're going to talk about work, then the first thing I need to let you know is that a Christian understanding of work begins with our understanding of God. If we're going to understand work, then we need to understand who God is, the character of God, the actions of God, because God works. God is a God at work. And we can see this as we go to the very, if we open up the very first page of our Bible, once we get through the the table of contents, we get to that book called Genesis, and we read at the very start, in the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. In the beginning, God was at work, creating the heavens and the earth. And we go, well, for him, it doesn't sound too much like work. He just kind of said, light be, and the light was. And yet, what we read is that God indeed did work in this sense. In Psalm 8.3, for instance, we read, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, Or in Psalm 102.25, which says, Of old you have laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Okay, God doesn't work exactly like we do, but God is a God at work. He was in the past. He still is now. He is accomplishing His purposes. God is a God at work. And because we are made in the image of God, We were created to work. I didn't tell you that up front because I didn't want you just leaving. We need to set the table. We need to understand that because we are created in the image of God, we are created to work. How do we know this? Well, go back to Genesis and we discover it. In Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 26, we read, 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then down in chapter 2, verse 15, then the Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. God made us to work. Now, you go, well, wait a minute. What about, what about the fall? What about the, the, the tree that they ate off of and sin coming into the world? We're going to get to that. But you need to know that before that, there was work in the garden. God created the garden, and He put man and woman to work, tending and caring for it, giving them dominion over this that God had created. If that's so, then why? If it was part of God's good order of creation, why, why is work now a drudgery? And some of you would, you would think about, hey, my work, either my career that I've left or, or what I'm involved in right now, and you have to look at it and you go, work, work indeed is, I hate getting up, it's drudgery. You dread going in. You just dread going in to the, to the office or to the shop or to whatever it is that you have to go to in your various aspect of, of your career, your work life right now. You dread it. You hate it with a passion. You wish you could do anything else but what you have to do. Why is work like that if it was part of God's good order of creation? Well, if we keep reading in Genesis, we discover the reason. In Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 17, we read, and this is part of the curse after, after Adam and Eve have eaten of the tree of the fruit. And to Adam, God said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for, for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you'll return. You see, we think about sin when we think about the fall. We think about how you don't have to teach a child to be disobedient. They come by that naturally. We think about it that way. We understand the fallenness of humanity. But what we sometimes don't grasp is the fallenness of all creation. When Adam and Eve fell, everything broke. It doesn't work the way it was supposed to anymore. And so God even cursed the ground so that when Adam and Eve worked it, before when they worked it, it just yielded fruit, it yielded vegetables, it yielded the plants. And, and they didn't have to worry about the weeds and worry about the thorns and thistles and worry about, you know, so it just, they planted it and boom, it happened. But all that mess got messed up. And ever since, work has been messed up for us. Now it becomes drudgery. It becomes hard. It becomes, sometimes it seems like a fruitless task. We're tilling the same ground over and over and over again. And, and it just gets to be drudgery for us. In Romans chapter 8, it confirms it for us. It says the creation was subjected to futility. You ever feel like your job? 
is futility. What you're doing is futility. You're just going over the same ground all the time, and it doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere. It's kind of like being on a a treadmill, which I think is a creation of the devil himself. Um, I've got one in my bedroom, and I can, you know, sometimes at night I think it's looking at me because it's demonic. But that's okay. We've covered it up with clothes. So we're safe. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, there's a longing within us to be set free from this futility. We know it's not right. We know all the pieces of the puzzle don't fit together like they ought to fit. We know that it's broken. And that's true in our relationships. It's true in our work life. There's a brokenness about it because of sin. And there's a futility about it because of the fall. Okay, so where are we so far? Let me backtrack just a little bit. Okay, we're made in the image of God. And God's at work. So we are working. It's part of who we are. Work is also part of God's good creation. That is, He gave it to us before the fall. It was not a result of the fall, but He gave it to us even before the fall. And then what we just discussed is that pain and struggle and work are part of the curse that came from the fall. Okay, that's the ground we've tread so far. And and I think it's important for us to set this up because we need a context when we begin to talk about work. But we need to take it a step further because if that's as far as we went, then we would just go away from here going, man, that was, that was a bummer. I wish I'd have watched Charles Stanley or Andy Stanley or Flat Stanley or, or whoever it is. Yeah, I wish I'd have watched somebody else other than coming here and getting this, this bummer of a sermon. But there's good news. And I love sharing good news. You like sharing good news? Man, we love sharing good news. And the good news is, I can sum it up in one word, the good news is redemption. What is redemption? Redemption for us means that Jesus' death on the cross paid the full penalty for our sin. Our sins are many. His mercy is more. His mercy was more than enough, His grace more than enough to cover up all of our sin, to pay the complete and total penalty for our sin. And because of that, in Jesus Christ, I am forgiven. And more than that, I am restored. The Bible says we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. A new creation. We still live in this broken, fallen world, but we live here as a new creation in Christ. And so this is where I want to try to pull these pieces together. The understanding that we live in a broken world and that work is therefore hard and sometimes a a, a seemingly futile task, but that we live in this world as redeemed, as new creations in Christ. And what we need to do, what we can do, is to bring that redemption, to bring that that new creation into our old world, to bring our our newness into 
this old, shattered, torn, broken world, and how does that fit together? How can I live as a redeemed man, as a redeemed woman, as a redeemed teenager in a broken and fallen world when it comes to my work life? What difference does my redemption make on Monday morning when I go into the office or go into the shop or get behind the steering wheel of my truck or put on my apron? What difference does my redemption make then? We celebrate it here on Sunday morning. I hear some of you celebrating it here on Sunday morning. It's an exciting thing. We could say, I am redeemed, and what a joy that is. But is that your song? Is that your theme? As you get up on Monday morning and the alarm clock goes off and you want to hit snooze just one more time, how do we bring this redeemed life, how do we bring it into our work life, into our workplace? 2017 Gallup did a poll, and it's interesting. In this poll, it noted that that 30%, only 30% of American workers are engaged at work. Now, I don't mean they have an engagement ring. They're engaged in their work. Only 30% are engaged in their work. What that means is that they are there, they are fully involved, fully engaged, enthusiastic about what it is that they are there to accomplish. They are loyal and they are productive. Only 30%. Now, I'm not great at math, but I can figure out that the other part of that is 70%. That means that 70% of the people, the American workers, who go to work, whatever their schedule might be, are not engaged fully in what it is that they're doing. They're there. They show up most of the time. They're there. They do pretty much what's expected of them. But when it comes to being fully on board with what they're doing, they're very often distracted They're not engaged. They're they're not giving 100%. And oftentimes, as a matter of fact, of this 70%, it said that 50% are disengaged, but 20% are actively working negatively to sink their company, to sink their business. They're trying to hurt the place where they work. And so when we look at this, we go, man, there's something messed up here. Now, believers ought to be among the 30%. But if we were to be honest right now, some of us sitting right here today would have to say, you know what, I'm in the 70. I dread Mondays or whatever my Monday is. I dread it. I'm counting the days. As soon as I go in on Monday morning, I am counting the days, counting the hours until 5 o'clock on Friday or whatever time you get off. I'm, I'm counting the days to the weekend. I'm counting the time to the weekend. You know, I'm, and we, we even gauge the week that, don't we? I mean, we've got Monday, we got to go to work. Then we got hump day. We figured, okay, from that, now it's a downhill. You know, I'm, I'm on the downhill slide. I can make it. I've gotten through halfway through the week. Should that be our attitude when it comes to work as followers of Jesus Christ? The world says this is the way work is, and all these songs 
strike a chord with us because we kind of identify with that. But should it be different for followers of Jesus Christ? Should we have a different view of work than the world has? And I think God's Word gives us some help to answer that question. The first verse that would help us to answer it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, which tells us, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, which doesn't leave anything out, do it all to the glory of God. This takes practice. It really takes practice. So it's confession time for me, okay? Not, this has nothing to do with showing up here. I've been practicing over the past, I don't know how many months. I have been practicing my attitude and my actions when it comes to some of the work I do at home. Because here's what I realized. There are times that Nancy asked me to do something or expected me to do something that I didn't necessarily have the best attitude about it. Now, I will tell you, I haven't gotten there fully yet. But I'm trying. Nancy, maybe she'll testify. Are you back there? Okay. She hadn't left yet. Oh, there she is. Okay. She's, she did leave. Um, okay. Nancy might testify. I really, really try when I, uh, for breakfast, we don't sit around the breakfast table and eat. Uh, we kind of, because we don't eat at the same time. We get our stuff. We kind of go sit down at the den. We eat. Um, we may listen to radio. We may listen to music. She may watch Sports Center. Yes, it would be her because she turns on ESPN, not me. But when I get up, I usually try very hard to take her plate and her yogurt cup because there's always a yogurt cup and to clean those things off and put them in the dishwasher. I try to do that. Am I right? Okay, good. All right. So I'm trying to do that. And I'm trying to do it with a good attitude. Because I hate washing off that yogurt spoon. I li- I'm sorry. I hate washing off. I'm thinking, why don't you just lick this thing off? Does this happen in your house? It is so easy. You just lick one side, lick the other side, and then it can go straight in the dishwasher. <laughs> Told you it was confession time. But I've tried to, to take that and take it over and wash it off and to try to do that with joy. And li- sometimes I literally have to pretend, okay, this is Jesus' spoon. What would I do with Jesus' spoon? Would I be resentful because he didn't lick it off? Well, we we all know Jesus would lick his spoon off, right? But if he didn't, if he didn't, how? what would my attitude be? Would my attitude be different? Now, I'm saying this because I want you to understand that I'm talking about the real world here. And I know it's kind of funny. You're talking about yogurt spoons and, and breakfast, but... But this is the kind of thing, the kind of attitude adjustment that we have to intentionally make in our homes and in our places of work. Otherwise, we're going to live continually aggravated because people don't do things the way we think they ought to be done. 
They don't do it in the time we think it ought to be done. They don't do it with the, the excellence we think it ought to be done with. And it will drive you absolutely batty because most of you who are at work work with a bunch of incompetence. That, oh, okay. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know the futility of work. And it's one of the reasons you hate Mondays. Because you've got to go work with a bunch of idiots. Unless you're working with family, then I take it all back. Whatever we do, whatever we do, whatever we do, we're to do it all for the glory of God. Now, what difference would that make in your Mondays if what you're doing You're not just doing for your boss. You're not just doing for your coworkers. But you're actually doing it for the glory of God. You know what? I'm doing it for the glory of God. There will not be one speck of yogurt on that spoon before it goes in the dishwasher. Not one. Because I'm going to give it my best. I want to do my very best for the glory of God. Whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it for God's glory. And so I want to talk real simple this morning about two aspects of that very quickly, and then we're going we're gonna to land the plane. The first one, how can we glorify God in what we do in our work? First of all, we honor God in our work with our attitude. We honor God in our work with our attitude. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily. That means put all your heart in it. As for the Lord, do it like you're doing it for the Lord and not for me, and knowing that from the Lord you'll receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so that is Jesus' spoon. I mean, literally, it's Jesus' spoon. Whenever I'm serving it, I'm doing it for Jesus. And so... It may be Nancy's spoon, but it's also Jesus' spoon. Now, how would this change your Monday, your Tuesday, your Wednesday, your Thursday, your Friday? How would it change it if everything you were doing, you were doing it as if it were for Jesus? Because what Paul is telling us here is, it is. I'm doing it for Jesus. And so, I know Tracy here, she's at the Waffle House. Now, everybody loves the Waffle House, right? I mean, it's the only place where you can get called baby and honey and sugar, and your wife doesn't get offended. It's great. So we go to the Waffle House. Well, Tracy has a lot of people come in, and there are a lot of nice people come in the Waffle House. And then there are a lot of not-so-nice people come in the Waffle House. But Tracy's serving them. She's waiting on them. Imagine if everybody that came in the Waffle House were Jesus. You go, well, I don't understand why Jesus is acting like that, but I'm not going you know, I'm I'm to spit in his grits or anything. I'm, I'm a, it's Jesus. So I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it as if I'm doing it for, for Jesus. Whatever it is, it changes the way we operate. And so let me, let me run some questions by you this morning. I just kind of wrote these out. 
thinking how things might be different if we were doing it as if we were doing it for the Lord uh, when it comes to our attitude. What is your attitude going into Monday morning? Now, if you don't, if yours isn't a Monday, if yours is another day of the week, then swap the day. But what, what is your attitude? You know that. You, you know what your attitude is when the alarm clock goes off. You know what your attitude is. How much of the day do you spend griping and complaining about work or about the people you work with? Okay, maybe you're not doing it verbally. Maybe you're griping and complaining on the, on the inside. How often do you publicly criticize your company, your boss, your manager, your supervisor, your coworkers? And then how often do you do it on the inside? Does your attitude show those around you that you have been redeemed? That you are a new creation in Christ Jesus? Do you reflect the love of Christ at work? Do you reflect the peace of Christ at work? Do you reflect the joy of Christ at work? Based on your overall attitude at work, not on those one-off bad days that we all have from time to time, would your non-believing co-workers think more or less of the Jesus you follow based on your, your attitude? Now, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty, but I am saying it to make you feel uncomfortable because there are times when we need to feel uncomfortable where God's Word needs to come into our lives and needs to shake us up a little bit, needs to poke us a little bit to, in order to, to move us back to where God wants us to be because you need to understand that your Christian witness is affected by your attitude at work. People will make opinions about the Jesus you follow because of your attitude at work. And so we need to take our attitude at work quite seriously. You may not be in the best working situation, and you may not work with the best people and for the best people, but that does not negate Colossians 2 or Colossians 3, 20, uh, is it 2 or 3? Colossians 3, 23 and 24. It doesn't negate it. What we do, we do as if we're doing it for Jesus. Our attitude matters, and so too does our, do our actions. We honor God with our actions. Now, I stole this list. Can I be honest with you? I stole this list because I, I thought it was a great list. Uh, a guy named Bob Thune, who co-authored the book, A Gospel-Centered Life, um, he talked about our actions and how they can or can't glorify God. And, and this is what he said, that, is that God is glorified when we put our whole selves into our work. We're to work, work at it with all our hearts. God is glorified when we put ourselves into it. God is glorified when we are honest in our work, even when it costs us to be honest. God is glorified when we honor our superiors and submit to their authority, even if they're idiots. He didn't add the idiot part. God is glorified when we treat our work associates with kindness and respect. God is glorified when we expose fraud or dishonesty or unethical behavior. God is glorified when we approach our work prayerfully. When was the last time you prayed on Monday morning that God would give you the opportunity 
to shine His light in your workplace. God is glorified when we avoid complaining or grumbling, even in less than ideal work situations. God is glorified when we refuse to make work and money our idols. You see, work is more than just making money, and work is just more than is more than just a place to evangelize. Work is a place and a time in our lives when we're called upon to reflect the glory of the Lord. Work. We're there to reflect the glory of the Lord. Now, for some of you, you got it made. You've got a job that is fully and completely satisfying. You're doing exactly what you've always wanted to do. You're exactly where you want to be. You are perfectly content in your work situation. And good for you, because you are a rarity. For the rest, you dread Mondays, and you count down the hours till Friday, and you're looking at me and saying, okay, Jimmy, (laughs) now would be a good time to give me the magic words or the secret formula that changes all that. I don't have it. We work. We work to provide for ourselves and our families. We work to provide for our futures. We work to provide for the needs of those who are less fortunate and lacking. We work to provide resources to our local church in order to continue the ministry that we also are involved in. We work to make our company better. We work to make our world a better place. But ultimately, 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 we work for the glory of God. Created in the image of God. Redeemed by the Son of God filled with the Spirit of God, we work for the glory of God. God can be just as glorified in your work on Monday morning as He is in your worship on Sunday morning. And in fact, He should be. That should be the norm. That should be the routine. That should be the song of our lives. You see, if you can't change the place for your work, and you can't change the people you work with, and you can't change the people you work for, and right now you can't change jobs, then the only thing that you can change is you. Your attitude and your action. And imagine the difference it would make in your work week if you began and ended with that work week saying, I am here today, I am at the Waffle House, I am in my office, I am at the shop, I am behind the wheel of this truck, I am in this kitchen making biscuits, whatever it is, I am here to do this for the glory of God. My attitude and my actions will either reflect the glory of God or, or, or detract from it, tarnish it in some way. I am here for the glory of God. I am here to work as if Jesus signs my checks. To work for Him, for His glory. You are responsible. You and you alone are responsible for your attitude and your actions when it comes to your workplace. Nobody else. You can't change many things about it. But you can change yourself 
in the midst of it. Now I realize that we have a number of people who are sitting here who are retired right now. And um, I searched the scriptures and I found only one place that mentioned retirement. And it's actually wrong in your, in your notes on the back of your sheet back there. It actually it says numbers. Uh, it says Leviticus chapter 8. It's actually numbers. Um, I don't know why I messed that up. But in Numbers chapter 8, verses 24 to 26, it talks about Levites, priests, who were to begin their work at age 25 and to retire from that work at age 50. And you go, wow. I mean, that, that was a few years back for me. Retired at age 50, I like that. Well, you need to read the rest of the passage because they weren't really retiring in the sense that we think of retiring. They were retooling repurposing they were to go from that role to the role of supporting those who were doing that role so they didn't really retire not in the sense that we think of retirement even then they were to invest themselves in those younger priests pour themselves into the lives of those younger priests so if you're retired then really what you need to be is retooled, repurposed, refocused, and re-energized because your work life doesn't end when you retire. It's just the checks stop coming. God still has something for you to do. And this is one of the things that brings great joy to me as a pastor because so many of you are willing to do that very thing. Now, some of you have retired from your job and you've got, a, you've got another job, but many of you have found ways that I am going to make my retirement, I'm going to make it useful. This retirement is for the glory of God. This retirement is, I can use this for Jesus Christ. And many of you volunteer at the various ministries in our community. You volunteer in the schools. You volunteer your time, your effort, your money. You invest yourself. You're not just entertaining yourself until you die. You're actually finding some way to make this retirement for the glory of God. And I commend you for that. I, I, don't, I, I can't imagine retirement right now. There, there are some days I think about it. But I can't imagine it right now. And many people who retire find that, you know what? I need to do something. I need to, I need to make this matter. I'm not just here just waiting for the candle to burn down until it finally flickers out. God can still use me. I've still got gifts. I've still got talents. I've still got passion. I've still got a heart. And as long as God gives me life and breath, I'm going to use this life and breath for his glory. So don't think, hey, listen, whew, he talked about work today. I'm glad that's past. No, because God created you for work. You just need to find the place where God's calling you to work and then do that with all your hearts. So we live in an imperfect, fallen world. We live here as children of God, redeemed a new creation, given a new heart and a new purpose by God. And whether we're at home or whether we're here at church, whether we're at work or whether we are at play, we're to do it as followers of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and as if we were doing it for Him.
Let's pray.